Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Aaron McCoy here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. While beer is brewed with four primary ingredients, we're talking about malt, hops, yeast, and water, today's program is all about the hops. According to beer authority Randy Mosher, hops have been cultivated since ancient times but they didn't start being used in beer brewing until about a thousand years ago. And as a cultivated plant, people developed uh, or discovered, I guess, uh, hundreds of different varieties of hops through the years. And in more recent years, the uh, cultivation of new, uh, new varieties of hops has accelerated as plant breeders are looking for new and more exciting flavors, fruit flavors, and all kinds of flavors from these hops. And Erin, I know uh, you're a person who appreciates the work of these hop breeders. Oh yeah, definitely. For IPA lovers like me, hops are the most important thing. And the flavors just vary widely from piney, resiny to floral, spicy and fruity. Hops are definitely what makes IPA shine. And that's why we brought together today two of West Virginia's leading brewers when it comes to hops. First, from Stumptown Ells in Davis, we have Jonathan Robison, John, welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful. And from Weathered Ground Brewery in Cool Ridge, West Virginia, we have Sam Fonda. Sam, welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Hey, guys. I mean, you are arguably two of uh, the state's best hoppy beer brewers. John, your beers at Stumptown were a real breakthrough like six years ago when you guys you know, got opened up there and you really put West Virginia on the map for a hop forward beers. Talk a little bit about uh, your inspiration for breaking new ground in West Virginia with hops and also uh, how your romance with hops got started. Yeah, well, I think it probably should start with my romance with hops. Uh, believe it or not, I, when, when I was thinking about this, it, it goes back to a dogfish head 90 minute IPA that I had probably 2009 or 2010 range that that uh, introduced me to hoppy beers. I, I wasn't a big hop drinking guy before that, but I, I loved that beer. And you know, looking back on that beer now, it tastes so much more malty than the than the hoppy beers that that I'm used to these days. But I think that that was the beginning of my inspiration, and I experimented a lot more with with uh, the hoppy beers at the time, which are much different than they are today. They tended to be more bitter and and um, dry and more piney uh, as opposed to the, the more fruitier versions that are available today. But that's what started the inspiration. And then uh, at some point along the way, I started getting into to, uh, hoppy drinking uh, gatherings with my other hoppy buddies around town here. And next thing you know, we wanted to get a brewery going and that's what we decided to run as our, our as our main theme was the hoppy beer. So that's pretty much how how we got going. Well, Sam, you began your brewing career in Charlotte a number of years ago, and I assume you initially learned about hops, of course, and their use in beer. So tell me what stood out to you uh, in your hops education, and when did your love affair with hops begin? Uh, you guys are going to hate me, but I'm going to name drop exactly who John said. Uh, when, uh, I think, you know, I think he could probably say too, that he probably had a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale a long time ago. Um, that was his first, maybe hoppy beer. Like, like that was my first, you know, hop forward kind of that Pale Ale, but, uh, my romance with it sort of was dogfish head 60 minute IPA. <laughs> uh, 
when I when I first started homebrewing, um, there was a recipe kit for that beer in the homebrew shop, and uh, they were also selling uh, Sam Calagione's book uh, called uh, I think it's called Extreme Beers maybe, um, but it's a lot of recipes that he gives in there, and uh, and so kind of down the same path uh, that Dogfish Head Sixty Minute was kind of where I really started drinking a lot more hoppy beers and uh and yeah kind of just the same thing he said it's changed so much um hoppy beers for the most part are so different than uh than what they were they you still have those same beers and they're still great but um it's it's changed a lot as of what what people want in their hoppy beers and there's a there's a whole big category of different kinds of ipas now well, in contemporary craft beer, uh, it is certainly the IPA that has uh, made hops the glamour boy of brewing, so to speak. And uh, I'm wondering what you guys think is the reason so many craft beer drinkers have gravitated toward that IPA style and the hops. And John, I'll start with you. Well, I think it's uh, the same reason a lot of people hate the IPAs. It's uh, there's a lot of flavor involved, which shock the the non-hoppy people that uh, make them not like it. But you, you have so many combinations of flavors you can play with with hops. Everything from the piney and resinous to to the uh, fruity and super fruity and and uh, earthy and um, you just have so much to play with as opposed to some other certain styles of beer where, where, where the parameters are much more narrow. And, uh, you know, you, you can find your type you like if you can, if you're the, the type of person that loves the, uh, the more bitter and, and super flavors that come along with IPAs. So Sam, do you uh, agree with that or do you have anything else to add to why you think the hops have become so popular in the IPA style? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, uh, as I say, the, the proof's in the pudding. Uh, it sells so well because it tastes so good. I mean, uh, I think that taproom staffs have sort of educated with the whole, whatever you want to call it, Juicy Hazy IPA, New England IPA. Um, I think that um, there's been a really strong effort to educate people that say they hate IPAs um, and to show them this style and it's totally different than you know they're the uh, extremely bitter west coast IPA from like green flash that was on the shelves several years ago that maybe some people love but like a lot of the population of beer drinkers would be very offended by when they taste because it's so bitter it's a completely different spectrum on it now um, we're using you know, just as many, if not a lot more hops, but just using them differently. And, uh, and it, and it comes out a much more palatable beer. That's not harsh. That's, uh, that's very easy drinking, even though it's loaded with these very flavorful hops that put out all these different flavors that like John was talking about, very fruity. You can still make those kind of beers very piney too, depending on which hops you use. And so, um, it's exciting for, it's just as exciting for, for uh, consumers as it is for beer makers like us um, because there's so many different varieties to play with that put out so many different flavors. Well, as you just said, there are so many varieties of hops to choose from today. So take me through the process of how you choose which hops that you want to use. And Sam, I'm gonna ask this of you first. Availability is a big deal. <laughs> um, and then, uh, 
you just play with you just play with them and decide what you want to use after you figure out what what you can use there's some there's some obvious ones that are heavy hitters like citra mosaic those are names that are thrown out a lot um you know i just just this past time uh with ordering hops i, I finally got some idaho seven again just because i was itching to use it again and so we brewed a double ipa today with uh, a lot of idaho seven and uh and we just making the decision on the combinations and stuff. It's just, it's something you, you just stare at the, uh, the sheets of what's available to you. And you, uh, and it's kind of like uh, a cook in a kitchen that just kind of has everything at hand and you can just sort of come up with stuff. Well, this might work with this. And it's really fun because sometimes things that are really similar that, that will obviously work together are, not as much fun as things that actually have like a, a really big contrast, like maybe something very citrusy with something that can be, uh, you know, very earthy or spicy. And uh, a lot of these new experimental hops are coming out are very minty and sort of herbal. And when you, when you use those with something that's very fruity, you know, it, it puts out this whole new thing. And sometimes it doesn't work. Um, as well as you would like it to, or as the way you pictured it. But that, I think that's a huge part of the fun. And I think uh, luckily breweries like ours and, and Stumptown are small enough that we can experiment like that and, uh, and, you know, uh, and find out stuff. We can uh, navigate through things like that and find out different recipes. Well, John, this, this is uh, directed at you as well. What do you look for in a hop whenever you're developing a beer? Well, we make it pretty simple here. We, I was thinking about this in, in our normal IPAs and even our pale ales, um, there's about four hops that we use over and over. It's Citra, Mosaic, um, Simcoe, and Amarillo. Uh, there's, we use a little bit of Centennial and Cascade, maybe in some others, but you know, when you're starting with those four, and those are the, you know, we've done uh, one-offs on our Holy series to try to get the to single out the flavors of different hops so we, you know we've done you know we've done a holy idaho seven and a holy strata and holy galaxy and so on and so forth and some and those are great hops and uh but you know for the, the ones we have those four in different combinations and uh actually columbus is another hop that we use a lot i try to i get a little dankness out of that that i like that i that i try to cut the 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 beers that are a little fruity i like to cut some with a little bit of dankness to to, to get a nice well-rounded ipa flavor um so that so you know when you only have a, a handful of ingredients in the in the uh in the in the drawer so to speak it's pretty simple and you know we these recipes that we've done for our flagship beers we've done for years so um when we're doing new ones it's pretty much the same recipes as far as everything else except for mixing in a different couple different hops and see how it goes type of thing but we we don't get to usually run with those too much because we're so busy trying to keep up with the demand for our flagship ones that you know we we, we do we do experiment a little bit but we always have to come back to just keeping up with our regulars at this point well, when you're building the taste profile you want in the beer, how important to that product taste are the techniques that you use to actually add the hops to the beer? John, I wonder if you could talk more about that. Well, I think that the uh, the dry hop is is the the most important. You know, we most of our beers these days are very little hops in the boil. 
um, cutting down on the bitterness. Maybe maybe our big boy pants or our West Coast uh, bewildered hippie might require a little bit of hops in the boil to, to get some extra bitterness to, to fit the profile of those beers. But a lot of these other ones are, you know, less bitterness, more flavor and aroma. And you get that from putting in late additions and dry hopping. And, um, you know, I learned my dry hopping when I went up to Vermont and did a brew with uh, uh, Sean Lawson from Lawson's Finest Liquids. And, and uh, he even told me that he, you know, how much he just throws in a little first wort hop of some hops to bitter it. We, usually we use Columbus because it's nice and cheap and bitter is just, just fine. And then, then we use whatever hop we're trying to, to uh, have shine. So for today, uh, those sassy mojos all mosaic. So it's straight up mosaic there. And, and he told me he just throws in the dry hops in, in the, you know, after he turns it down to 55, lets the yeast drop and the timing of putting it in while it's still warm enough to absorb a lot of the, the hop flavors for a few days and, and uh, run with it. And I wasn't really sure how to do it on a commercial scale because I had always been so small before that. So having a chance to talk with him, he, he brewed on a several seven barrel system and we were getting ready to open our 10. So uh, gave me the confidence to, to do that, that method. And we've just always done it that way. Well, Sam, I'm interested too. And thinking again of the typical IPA drinker out here who's never really ever brewed an IPA. So we don't really know how it's made. And maybe talk just a minute about the significance of the difference in the way you hop a traditional, say West Coast style IPA versus the newer uh, juicy, hazy IPAs. Sure. Um, so I was extremely fortunate to work at a brewery in Charlotte that uh, that had um, a really experienced uh, brewer with hoppy beers. And, uh, and when I first started working there, everything was pretty much West Coast at that point. Um, the haze craze hasn't happened, hadn't happened yet. And so, uh, but that was uh, Scott Kimball at Triple C Brewing Company. And uh, we brewed a beer there called uh, 3C IPA. And uh, that really showed me the ropes on how to make, I think, a, a good West Coast IPA. Um, it's, uh, you know, we don't really talk about IBUs that much here because we don't make a lot of West Coast stuff, but we do a couple of them. And, uh, and that, you know, um, alpha acids are important for trying to figure out how bitter you want the beer. When we brew our old West Coast IPA, we shoot for about 60 IBUs, and a lot of that, uh, a lot of that initial bitterness, I think like 20 IB, 20 IBUs or so of that comes from the uh, the bittering addition we do at the beginning of the boil, and that's all Magnum hops. It's a nice, clean German bittering hop, and then uh, and then we hit it again really hard in the middle of the boil with some Citra hops, and then. Uh, and then the late edition Whirlpool is a lot of Amarillo and Cascade. And those are kind of the hops that, uh, that I remember being, you know, really West Coasty. And then we sort of do the same sort of ratio when we dry hop it. And I make sure that the uh, fermentation is, uh, is complete and uh, we've already harvested yeast and uh, there's, uh, it's, it's almost getting to be a, uh, you know, time to transfer the beer before we actually dry hop it then it sits on dry hops for about 10 days and then we cool it down and let it lager for a good while to make sure that everything drops out and it's a, a clear beer um and and the process is totally opposite when we brew something uh like uh, haggard ipa um, we don't add any hops at all uh, to the kettle during the uh, boiling process but we do 
uh, add hops in the Whirlpool. And um, over the years, uh, we've been open for four years now, um, we've dialed back the amount of hops we add to the Whirlpool, again, because of the amount of acids that are in uh, El Dorado hops, which is the, the main hop that we use in that beer. And uh, we've just noticed how much uh, smoother that beer has become and less, less green and less mean when we, uh, when we add less hops to the Whirlpool. And we've, we've almost cut it in half since we first started brewing that beer. And then we actually, we actually dry hop uh, that beer when it's uh, still fermenting. And uh, it's, uh, we dry hop it about three quarters through fermentation and cap it um, to, to try to get uh, biotransformation um, where the yeast actually uh, works with the hops and puts out some uh, unique fruity flavors that you can get through different hops that you use. John, I'm going to go back to you on this one just for a second. Does that pretty much explain the differences that you're placed to between a West Coast style and, and the uh, East Coast or the uh, New England style? Yes, West Coast, more more bittering hops in the boil to get the bitterness. And then um, maybe we use a little bit more dank, what I call dank hops, Columbus, Simcoe, uh, some things to really get the piney flavors up a little bit. Um, but, you know, some beers are sort of a hybrid. Uh, the holies, uh, I wouldn't call those East Coast or West Coast or somewhere in between. So you're kind of, but, but heavy on the dry hopping for sure. And, and um, you know, the, the less, definitely less hops in a boil on the East Coast ones. Cut down on the bitterness. Once you've established a recipe that you're happy with, do you ever go back and vary the hops somewhat from batch to batch? And if so, what drives your decision to make a, a recipe adjustment? I'll go ahead with you, John, if you'll start. Rarely change anything once I find that I like it. Um, so, and we don't calculate IBUs or anything like that. It's my taste buds. If, if something seems like it might be more bitter than I like, then that's a cue for us to cut back on some, some hops in the boil. And uh, hopefully the next batch comes in a little smoother and that's, uh, we've always run with it. And at some point it can, we kind of, hit the hit the zone and stuck with it ever since but you know there's always a possible you know sometimes you can change you want to change a flavor a little bit more or there's a different hop that comes along you know when we first started mosaic wasn't as wasn't as popular or or used but uh it became more popular as it as uh as we were open so that found its way into our rotation but but usually we we stick with what we've what we've done what about you, Sam? What about recipe adjustments as far as hops goes for you? Uh, we've, we've definitely adjusted a lot of things. Um, there's some things that have never changed really, um, but those are mostly not hoppy beers. I listened to your podcast a, uh, a few weeks ago with Ross at uh, Bad Shepherd, and you kind of asked him something uh, – uh, along the same lines and he was trying to explain that uh you know there's always a quest to make it a little bit better and sometimes sometimes some of your hardcore fans will get mad if you uh if you change your recipe but little tweaks here and there to try to make something better if you're not 100 percent satisfied satisfied with it are uh are important and uh, we do that with some things uh it's weird you know like uh uh, I think we're going to drink Tallahatchie here in a little bit. And uh, there was a batch of that beer that I was obsessed with. And I, and it was the perfect IPA for me. Like that beer is supposed to be like a balanced IPA, um, you know, um, 
not too west coast, not too hazy, just kind of down the middle, not too bitter. And uh, and we had this batch of that that was just so perfect. And it took me, I mean, I just could not get it back to that. And I wrote everything down and, you know, uh, we documented everything, but I just could not. Uh, and it, I think that has to do with uh, with different crops of hops and, uh, and you know, um, hops are a living plant. And, you know, they're different all the time. And so, uh, but uh, I've got it close now, but there were lots of batches in Tallahatchie where I was just like, man, how can I get back to that, where that was? And so there was a lot of tweaking going on with that beer specifically. And then, like I said earlier with Haggard, we, we cut back on the Whirlpool hops a lot. Um, but we're, we tweak a lot of stuff. We haven't really changed anything in the, uh, in um the worth a lake series of ipas that we do and uh there's some stuff that's just really popular and, and you like it enough to you don't really want to tweak anything like like in that series but uh but yeah there's there, we definitely do some tweaking depending on um how we feel about the beer well let's talk for a minute about something we call hop burn and uh, hazy ipas i mean these hazy ipas are known to be you know primarily they're they're not particularly bitter. They're smooth and mellow, much more so than, you know, a traditional uh, West Coast IPA. But sometimes uh, they get this uh, kind of unpleasant feeling when you swallow it, uh, which people just call a hot burn. You know, I'm wondering who wants to take on uh, what causes that and where's it come from? I'm not real familiar with that. Um, the, the good ones wouldn't have that. I would, I would uh, say is what, what I would say, maybe somebody is not letting, letting all the hops drop from, I mean, they're, they're heavily dry hops. So um, if there, if there's still a lot of hops in suspension, when it's kegged or you're going to, you're going to get a burn. Um, so that's what I would suspect it is, but um, I'm not real familiar with, with having tasted that recently. Yeah, and I agree with you. Whenever you do get a, a hop burn, it is typically one that's quite uh, quite heavy with the hops in suspension, and that probably, I would guess, accounts for some. But I just wondered what you brewers thought. Sam, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's just extreme dry hopping, um, and uh, extreme dry hopping and extremely fresh beer that hasn't hasn't been cold for very long. Um, and uh, yeah, we're guilty of that sometimes um just uh hops like uh citra and uh el dorado um they're really high in alpha acids uh and you give it a really big dry hop and it, it's not cold long enough before you uh keg or, keg or can or bottle it and uh it's uh it's fairly common um and uh some 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 consumers can't have enough of it uh my friend Dylan, who's our biggest hophead fan, uh, you know, can't have them green enough. And he's always bringing me, bringing me cans from like the veil and stuff. And sometimes it's just like, whoa, like it's just like such a strong burn. Um, but uh, some people like look for that. And I definitely don't. I like it when it's more balanced and smooth and, uh, and, and no burn. Yeah, I think it's like uh, what we say about a lot of times about these, uh, you know, hazies that they, you like them very fresh because you know those are ones that they tend to kind of fall off the, the cliff a little bit after a couple of months and you don't want to save them and age them at all but at the same time if you drink them too fresh sometimes you get a little bit of that 
you, they need to mellow out a little bit more. So it's kind of like, you know, give them a couple of weeks after they're, they're canned or bottled or brewed. And uh, before you, uh, before you drink them, if you're a person that doesn't want particularly to have that burn, if you love it, well then drink them as fresh as you can get them. I guess. It's a finicky thing. Just keep them cold. That's all I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, as a brewer with both of you guys, I'm curious, you know, especially, I know you, you both have said there's so many hops that are out there on the market how do you personally educate yourself on the hops that are out there and available? I kind of just keep my eye on Beer Advocate and see if anybody's talking about any new hop. And, uh, you know, the hop, hop providers kind of give you updates when something comes out and you might you know, use the Internet and do reviews, look at reviews and wonder if it's a hop you want to try whether it has a flavor profile that you're looking for and um, you know if other breweries have usually had a chance to brew with it and uh, you know what their the input on their beers are is something I use but um, like I said we we are so we're kind of we were a new school at one time but now I guess we're kind of old school we stick with those same five or six hops and and uh, once in a while to try something else just to just for fun but um, we're, we're, we're kind of conservative when it comes to that. What about you, Sam? What do you think? Uh, I agree with everything John said. Um, we do some research, you know, uh, everybody, uh, I think, I think all of us brewers follow different forums and stuff on, uh, Facebook and email forums. And we all have, uh, representatives from hop suppliers that, that are pushing the new thing towards us. Uh, speaking of, uh, Thank you, Hollingberry and Sons. Uh, they're, they're who we get most of our hops from. Uh, I had to give them a shout out, hoping that uh, Alexa uh, gets me the the good the good hops. And so, uh, but yeah, she does a great job of letting us know what other people are talking about. And uh, and then we have friends that are regulars here that travel and they bring us beers and uh, and you know um, let us taste different things and and uh, we try to. We try to look look out for new stuff because that's what's exciting. Um, try to keep up with our brand of beers, but also try to come out with something new to keep people excited. Well, I, I think, John, you've probably already answered this question for me since you said you sort of stick to your regular um, selection of hops. But um, I'll start with you as far as how likely would you be to, to jump on board or try some of the experimental hops? Because obviously there's a lot out there and as Sam just said you have representatives that are, are pushing the new things your way so are, are you at all tempted or not so much maybe not as much as I once was a few years ago but I still you know I, I always say I want to do it more than I actually end up doing it because we're just so much trying to keep up with you know we got to get we got to get a porter in a fermenter we got to do this otherwise you know we're going to have empty taps and you know to get something else going um, you know, plus the process of getting beers, new beers approved and all that, that come along with it. It's just, sometimes it's a little bit off, but you know, I do, I've done a whole series with the Holy, you know, with trying different hops all along the way. And, you know, I'd like to try Medusa's out there as one I'd be interested in trying. And uh, there's a couple others that have my attention, but I haven't pulled the trigger on them, but I say I am, maybe I will next week, or maybe it'll be six months, but I, I do want to try more. I wish I could. Yeah. Uh, Medusa is a great one, by the way. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, um, yeah, like, like I was saying, it's just for us, it's just a balance of, 
like right now this week, um, there's empty tanks that have got to be filled, and we have labels that we've uh, we've already purchased that, and that's just money sitting there if they're not getting put on put on cans, and so. Uh, we're trying to keep up with the Haggard series and uh, about to bring back the Worth of Lick series. And so, um, but whenever we have, whenever we have a moment and we have some, some, uh, you know, some new hops, uh, we uh, will brew a, uh, a special one-off IPA and, and try to throw something fun in there. Well, Sam, I'm wondering if you could continue this hop conversation with a little discussion of uh, your experience using West Virginia grown hops. And I'm particularly interested to say like a comparison of how does a West Virginia cascade compare with one you get from the Pacific Northwest? That would be tough to explain because I never get any, all the hops that I get grown in West Virginia are going to be fresh hops uh, from Lost Ridge Farms, uh, just down the road from us or from uh, Barbersville. I have a friend that grows a ton of hops in his backyard. It's crazy how much hops he brings me um, and, uh, and their cascade as well. Um, but I've never used fresh hops from, uh, from anywhere else except for North Carolina. And these are very similar to that. Um, they're awesome. They're everything you'd want a fresh hop to be. The problem is the last two years we've had crazy, uh, you know, growing problems, uh, whether it be bugs or uh, climate, um, just uh, haven't had much yield. And so we didn't even get to brew our fresh hop pale ale last year. Um, we ended up just having enough to do a fresh hop saison because it wasn't enough, wasn't enough yield to do the pale ale. But anybody that's interested in growing Cascade hops in West Virginia uh, or Chinook hops, um, maybe, or uh, JR from Lost Ridge also grows uh, Zeus pretty well. If if it's a good year and you can uh, and you have time to tend to them and everything, uh, you can grow some delicious hops here. Uh, it's just it's not perfect climate, but um, you really have to be careful. And Mother Nature is uh, is hard sometimes, but uh, but yeah, I think we make a pretty good fresh hop paleo whenever we have enough hops to do it. Well, John, I know uh, West Virginia hop growers have had some up and down years. Have you had the chance to try some of them too? Other than the ones that we grow right here in Davis, that's the only West Virginia hops that I've ever used. We do a, once a year, we'll do the uh, Davis hop ale. Uh, we have Columbus and Chinook growing right out in front of the brewery. I have Centennial hops growing on my back deck and Cascade hops growing off my former back deck, which is now my neighbor. And we're able to harvest enough to, to use it in, the, in, a, in a brew. And it comes out as a very light pale ale, but it's got nice flavor and, and uh, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of fun to do it. And a lot of people love to, to just try it just because they know it's a hop from literally outside the door. Um, so that's really my only experience with it. I would be interested in some hops that I from West Virginia. You know, obviously they're more limited as, as to getting the, uh, the types of hops that we prefer to use or, or proprietary. I don't know if there's any way a West Virginia grower could ever have a license to grow any of those proprietary hops. Um, but certainly I would be interested in getting some Centennial or Columbus or Chinook from from somebody if it, if it would and it would need to be in a pelletized form. It's uh, I'd find it a little bit tedious to to brew with the whole hops and you know we do it with the Davis hop ale but 
I wouldn't want to do that much. I, I much prefer the, the pelletized form and, and that's what we're, we're, we're used to using. Well, John, when you're purchasing your hops, do you stick to the same suppliers generally or does that vary for you? It varies a little bit. We're, we're, we don't get any contracts like I think a lot of the, the larger breweries do, which, which uh, you know, is good in some ways. It guarantees that you would have the hops you, you need if you had those contracts, but you're also stuck with getting those hops in, in case you didn't need them for some reason, like last year would have sucked. Um, so, uh, you know, BSG Craft Brewing is where we originally got our grains from, and that, um, we've switched to that now. We, now we get a more a mid-Atlantic grain supplier, but uh, the hops we still get from there. But the, a lot of times they don't have what I need in stock, so I have to shop around from other, there's, there's a couple other providers on the inter internet, Hop Havoc and, and Yakima Valley and some others. And um, Luckily, I've been to the point where I've never run out of what I've needed. I've, I've been worried about it a couple times, and I had to overpay for some Citra on occasion, but um, that's that's how we go about it. I, I don't foresee us ever getting big enough where I, I'm uh, looking to get under contract for any hops. Sam, do you typically, for weathered ground, do you also keep with the same suppliers, or do you shop around a little bit? Uh, for the most part, uh, for the last uh year and a half maybe i try to get all our hops from uh hollingberry and sons uh but uh a lot of times they're not going to have something that i really want and so uh we also buy stuff from bsg and from uh michigan hop alliance hop havoc sometimes hop havoc has some some uh really rare stuff that i can't find anywhere else and uh and there's there's a handful of of uh of places you can you can shop around from and then we do a little bit of uh we're friends with a couple of breweries that are much bigger than us that um like john was saying have uh, over contracted uh especially citra hops and uh and so that citra hops are so popular and uh even still and so we're lucky to be friends with with folks that are bigger than us that buy too much and want to get rid of some yeah i'd like to give a shout out too to uh even some of our west virginia brewers who are friends of other brewers and, and will trade hops when they can. If somebody has a little bit of a shortage, you hear that all the time. I'll walk into a small brewery and they'll say they got hops from the one, you know, the town over. And uh, it's nice that you guys are so uh, agreeable to working together and are not so competitive that you can't, uh, you know, help, help each other out. Well, all right. You know, I think it's time uh, to shift gears here and we've got a couple of beers that we want to try. Two hoppy beers one from Stumptown and one from Weathered Ground. So we're gonna start out with uh, Sassy Mojo from Stumptown Ale. We're gonna get this thing poured. Okay, John, we're gonna hold these beers up and say cheers to you and uh, let you take us away on this tasting. Okay, well, this is... Uh... Sassy Mojo, it, it might as well be called Holy Mosaic. It's, uh, we named, it's pretty much has the same grain bill as Holy Citra, except for it's all mosaic hops instead. So, uh, but we, we named it prior to coming up with our Holy series. So Sassy Mojo it is. Um, mosaic is a very interesting hop. Is, and this is a, just a great example of what mosaic tastes like since there's no other hop to get confused with it or meddled with it and um, we use a, a very clean yeast on it so there's no 
yeast contributions. It's just a nice clean O5 yeast that we use. So um, this is this is pure mosaic, and mosaic is uh, I think aptly named because it's just tough to describe exactly what you're tasting when you taste mosaic. It's got so much different things going on. I mean the the descriptors that the companies say is that it has uh, you know blueberry berry medley. Mango, stone fruit, rosier, floral, bubblegum, tropical citrus, grassy pine, earthy herbal spice. So I don't know what other flavors there are after that, but um, obviously it covers a lot of those. And this is definitely not an East Coast style beer. It's, it would probably lean a little more west. It's got some. It's got some bitterness to it, um, and but it's really heavily dry hopped and uh, flavorful. You know, I picked this one up at. Um... The Pitch uh, Sports Bar in uh, Dunbar, West Virginia Institute, whatever you want to call that area. And uh, I know you also sell some of your beers, John, around the Charleston Huntington Market to a few other accounts. You want to mention a few more accounts in, in this region where people might find a, a, a Stumptown Ale? Meets uh Meats, The Palette over there in, um, uh, what's the name? It's Scott Deep, Deep Bell, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, we, we also take them to the to the, to the drugstores down there in, in that area, the, the Fruth and, and uh, Drug Emporium. But we've certainly have cut back a little bit on places we go to. It's just um, we're to the point where we just go down to that area twice uh, every other week, basically. We, right now, all we do is deliver every other week to Charleston and every other week to, to Morgantown. And the rest of our beer is out our back door, basically, and, and a couple local local places. And that's all we have. So um we've, we've canned more so there's less going out to other places and we tend to try to only go to the places that buy larger quantities of beer because delivering is a pain in the butt well i tell you this one has a ton of flavor and it really differs so much from holy citra when you get right down to it i mean it's, it's distinctly different in those two styles and i know that probably your most popular beer is that holy citra right probably is our our top seller yeah, it is. It's totally different. It shows exactly this. It would be great to do a side by side with a Holy Citra or any of the other Holies, a Holy Strata or something like that, uh, just because you really are getting to taste the hop. Nothing else. You you don't have the yeast playing its part. You don't have other hops in different combinations. You're you're really getting to uh, get the flavor of that hop with these type with this with this recipe. Well, it's, it's quite fantastic. It's very good. Very Thank well you. Done. Thank you. So the next beer that we are tasting that Sam does have, because <laughs> his beer is Tallahatchie by Weathered Ground. And we'll let him give us the details on this. Well, beer. let's get it. Let's get it poured first before he starts talking about it. <laughs> Sam, take it away. Um, so this is our Tallahatchie IPA. Uh, before I get into the hops, uh, we name a lot of our beers after West Virginia stuff, uh, as we should. And, uh, some are serious and some are silly. Um, but, uh, every once in a while, I'm not, I'm not from here. I'm a transport. I'm from Mississippi. And so every once in a while I have to, uh, give a nod to my uh, where I'm from. And so the Tallahatchie river, uh, runs through my hometown back in Mississippi. And so that's what this beer is named after. Um, but uh, it has a lot of the hops that we've already talked about uh, today. A lot of the ones that uh, both us and Stumptown use. Uh, there's 
Chinook, Centennial, uh, Citra, and Amarillo. Um, but if there was a predominant hop in, in this beer, it, it's going to be uh, Citra. And then uh, after that, probably uh, Chinook. And uh, there are hops utilized in the boil. Uh, we don't add any uh, at the beginning of the boil, but we do uh, right in the middle. We give it a big Citra punch. And then in the Whirlpool, we use all the hops listed. And then I repeat that in the dry hop. Um, right towards the end of fermentation, um, we use uh, for the malt. It's basically uh, two-row malt with a little bit of uh, malted wheat and a little bit of flaked oats, and uh, it's just meant to be balanced. It's meant to not be knock you knock you out, not be underwhelming. Just just a really good balanced beer. All our regulars here in the tap room always say, uh, "Give me the hatch," and uh, and that's the the tail hatch. I want to kind of point out the some of the differences between these two beers we were we've been drinking. Uh, Tallahatchie is a great example of a hop hop blend. I mean, you just named the four hops that are in it. Where John talked about uh, Sassy Mojo being a one hop uh, beer, which it just shows you can make wonderful beer a lot of different ways with hops. It, it's it's very versatile, isn't it? It's very versatile. Uh, the mosaic that he was talking about is one of my favorite too. It's such a fun hop to use by itself, like in that beer. That beer is great, Sassy Mojo. And, uh, and it's also a great filler hop because it plays so good with everything. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's really fun to, uh, to explore all these and use them by themselves or use them with friends, as I say. And, uh, and you know, uh, it's just a lot of fun to play with hops. There's just an infinite amount of things you can do with all the combinations and not to mention throwing in the different yeasts, which, you know, you could put the same hops in it and change up the yeast and it's just going to be a different creature. So, um, you know, the possibilities are infinite and uh, it's certainly a lot of fun, especially for those that, you know, have to have an opportunity to, to play around with all those. I wish I had more time to ho homebrew like I used to be able to and, and uh, play around with those kind of things more often. But it, it really is. The, the possibilities are endless. Well, to all the hop heads out there, you got to get uh, weather ground. you got to get to Stumptown Ales. you got to get to these breweries. Other West Virginia breweries, too, are making wonderful hoppy beers these days. And hey... Don't be afraid of hops. There's there are so many out there. Give them a try. Keep an open mind. The, the varieties are endless. The flavors are endless. So don't be that person. Oh, I hate IPAs. Give them a try. So it's time to wrap this up. But before we get out of here, I want to take just a minute for uh, you guys. Sam, weathered ground IPAs are sort of in a rotation. I think Stumptowns might be to some extent too. You know, you brew on a schedule. Run us through quickly some of the current IPAs or things that are coming up shortly uh, in your line. So uh, Tallahatchie uh, just got canned recently and uh, there uh, should be some fresh Tallahatchie already in the Charleston Huntington area uh, as well as Morgantown. And then um, let's see uh, Haggard as well just got canned recently. So it should be out there and uh, in the pipeline, we have Stop and Smell the Citrus. Uh, it's in the tank. It was dry hopped four days ago. So it'll sit on the hops a little bit longer and sit cold for a little while. Um, and we're bringing back our RK double IPA, which is, uh, which is much, much similar 
uh, hops used in this beer, but just some darker malt. It's usually uh, a little bit darker. And, uh, and then we, uh, we brewed a new one today with Idaho seven hops that I'm really excited about. It'll be a double IPA. Um, and, uh, and then we're brewing our, uh, worth a lick for the next two days, but that won't be ready for another three or four weeks. Okay, John, uh, it's your turn. Uh, what's coming up in Stumptown? Let's get those fresh hot beers people should be looking for in the next month. Well, you're going to get the, our regulars. Uh, we've got the six-legged frog, multiple hopgasms, um, holy citra. Of course, it seems like we have to brew that every week. Um, big boy pants, we need to get that in again. That's going to be in the rotation. Um, we have a pale ale, which is a little, you know, it's, it's still hoppy, but that we use Mandarin puree in that came out really nice. So that's sort of an interesting thing, too, that you can replace some hop flavors with some puree that, that came out really well. Um, and, you know, Bewildered Hippie, Cape Dweller, uh, the, just the, the, the normal routine of the, the same beer is coming out. And, and like I say, I, I always say I'm trying to, to get something else new out. I, I want to play with a, a new yeast. Uh, it's going to be a New England style yeast. So I'm going to try to get an order in and maybe get something out uh, in the next couple months trying that new yeast. So we'll see how that goes. Well, John, Sam, thank you both for being on West Virginia Beer Roads today. We have thoroughly enjoyed listening about your all's hop thought process in general and a little bit of education for us and hopefully our viewers or listeners. So please keep putting those hoppy beers on the market. We, we definitely look forward to trying them and we're excited about what you're going to brew for us. So thank you for joining right. Beer Roads. Thank you. Cheers, Sam. Cheers. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.